The new. As has been already noted, the word new is an important one in scripture. To review briefly, two words are translated from the Greek as new. Kainos, which means not new in time, but new as to form, quality, or nature, and neos, new in time. The word newness, Romans 6.4 and 7.6, is kainotes. Newness of life thus means a life of a new quality. The more commonly used word is kainos, newness of form, quality, or nature. A repeated statement of scripture is the promise of a new creation. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Isaiah 65.17 See also Isaiah 51.16 and Isaiah 66.22, 2 Peter 3.13, and Revelation 21.1. Christ declared, Behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21.5, his word from the throne. The promise of God throughout the Old Testament era was a new covenant. The word used, Hebrews 8.8, Revelation 21.5, is kainos, newness of nature or quality. The new creation is one which, while outwardly the old world and the old individual, is a renewed one, changed in life and quality by the power of God unto salvation. The source of this new creation is Jesus Christ, who in Revelation 3.14 describes himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The commentary by W. Boyd Carpenter is at this point very good. The beginning, better the origination of the creation of God. This title of our Laura does not occur in the epistles to the other churches, but very closely resembles the language used by St. Paul in writing to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. The beginning, not meaning that Christ was the first among the created, but that he was the origination, or primary source, of all creation. By him were all things made, John 1, 1 through 3. Compare Colossians 1, 15 and 18. Not with him, but by him creation began. In short, the word beginning, like the word faithful, must be understood in an active sense. He has originating power, Acts 3, 14, as well as priority of existence. The appropriateness of its use will be seen when we remember that the Laodicean church was exposed to the temptation of worshipping inferior principalities. See Colossians 1.16, 2.15, where the plural of the word here rendered beginnings or origin is used, and is translated principalities. St. John states the matter simply, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.3 God the Son, indeed all the Trinity, was involved in the work of creation, so that creation cannot be understood nor can it exist apart from him. Creation having fallen, no recreation is possible apart from him who is the origin of all things and the creating power of the universe. By the sovereign word of God, all things were made out of nothing, and by the sovereign word of God, all things are regenerated and made new. Salvation, health, or victory means this regeneration of all things by God the Savior. This is the meaning of the name Jesus, God the Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew 1.21. Since it is sin that destroys, sin which introduced death into the world, it is God who, by destroying sin and death, renews and redeems his people. This new birth of creation, new in nature, quality, and life, had its beginning and sign in the birth of a babe, the incarnate Son of God. And this shall be a sign unto you, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Luke 2.12
A sign in the New Testament denotes an outward indication of an inner or hidden purpose, usually that of God himself. Simeon spoke of the infant Jesus as a sign that is spoken against, Luke 2.34. Jesus condemned those who looked for a miraculous sign from heaven, Matthew 12.39, Mark 8.12, Luke 11.29, cross-reference 1 Corinthians 1.22, because all that he was and did was a sign to those ready to receive it. But it was not so much his actions as his person which Jesus regarded as being primarily the sign of God's redemptive activity. The Son of Man was himself the sign vouchsafed to that generation that the day of redemption was at hand. Perhaps this was one of the reasons why Jesus adopted the title Son of Man as his own personal self-designation. Ezekiel had, like other prophets, e.g. Isaiah 8.18, regarded himself as a sign to his generation, Ezekiel 12.6, sent to speak God's word, whether they would hear or whether they would forbear, 3.4.11, etc. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is sent to proclaim God's word and to be assigned to a disobedient people, cross-reference Ezekiel's He that will hear, let him hear, 327, with Jesus's He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Mark 4, 9, etc. Jesus Christ declared himself to be a sign, and at his birth, the angel declared to the shepherds that he was to be a sign, a sign of something new, of good things, of great joy, which shall be to all people, Luke 2, 10. The message of the angelic multitude was glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, Luke 2.14. Lenski renders this glory in highest places to God, and on earth, peace, on men, good pleasure. The word rendered goodwill or good pleasure is eudokia, Ephesians 1, 5 and 9, Philippians 1, 15 and 2.13, Romans 10, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, Matthew 11.26, and Luke 10.21. The eudokia, or goodwill towards men, is not to be interpreted humanistically. It does not refer to a new order in which men feel a goodwill towards one another. Rather, it means that the essence of the new world is God's goodwill towards men, which is revealed in the birth of Jesus Christ. St. Paul refers to this fact in Ephesians 2.14, declaring of Christ, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Thus, Jesus Christ, who is the origin of creation, is also the renewing of creation, bringing to it a newness of life and nature by purging it of sin and death and regenerating it by his power. Practically, this means that the psychology of regeneration moves a man to an acceptance of that which is new through Christ. It is very easy for men to grieve over the past and to be past-bound. In the 20th century, men with roots centuries old in a place found all things destroyed forever and they and their people scattered. Men whose work and love had gone into the life and walls of a church found that church to be a blasphemous parody of its purpose and calling. The ruthless march of humanism has trampled underfoot the painstaking work of generations and laughed at the cry of the aggrieved. Destruction has been called a virtue, and novelty heralded as the new. The word of the Lord still stands. Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Luke 9.60 That which perishes is dead, and often needed to perish. We are not to turn back, to be wedded to the past, or to grieve. We are the people of Jesus Christ, he who makes all things new, and, above all other men, to move forward in time in confidence that the new comes only from the hand of God. The newness of life, the newness of quality in nature, can come from no other source than Jesus Christ. Hence, as against burying the dead, as against grieving over the past and lingering amidst the ruins, 
The essence of the Christian's new life is to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1.8. The future comes only and entirely from the hand of God, and having begun the work of making all things new, God shall only continue to reveal his eudokia, his good will or good pleasure towards men. Towards this end, the powers of darkness shall be shaken and destroyed, his kingdom proclaimed and extended, and his power manifested. The old man in us, the fallen man, clings to the past, ready to compromise for a little peace, to be undisturbed in our yesterdays and preserved from the claims of tomorrow. But the new man will not permit it, nor can we rest on past victories. We cannot view things personally, how they affect us, but how they affect God's purpose. To seek an escape from problems is to ask for an escape from God because it is the essence of that new life that it confronts and moves against every barrier to Christ's conquering reign. Christ is a sign spoken against, according to Simeon, Luke 2.34, because his coming is a threat to the old world and its claims. He is the stone of stumbling to all those who war against God. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder, Luke 20.18. Thus, it is death to cling to the past. Time is not eternity, and that which is must pass away in order for that which must be to develop. The Christian is a pilgrim who refuses to find permanency in time, nor newness in novelty. In Christ, who is his Redeemer, he finds his newness of life and the marching orders for time, so that he is fixed as to his faith and on the move in his time. A charge often leveled against those who break with an established order is that they do not truly love it. On the contrary, it must be held that those who most love a church are those most ready to break with it in the name of the faith when it forsakes the faith. The men who first left their homes in England for America were more loyal to their heritage than those who remained, and they named their new land New England. What were matters of indifference to those who remained were matters of faith and life to those who left and the greater vitality of the English and Scottish cultures soon manifested themselves in Canada, the United States, and elsewhere. The role of colonials all over the world in revitalizing their homelands has never received the attention it deserves. In every age, the future belongs to those who live in terms of it in Christ. However important technology and economics are, man's future is never determined by them. They are first of all products rather than causes. The causes rest in the mind and faith of man. If technology and economics determined the future, then the 20th century should be the happiest and most peaceful of eras, rather than one bent on committing suicide. But men, having forsaken Christ, have also forsaken the future. Instead of newness of life and a future, they lack also a present and live in blind revolt. Men who cannot make a future destroy even their present and despise their past. The present order can be destroyed either by revolution or by a refusal to grow and to accept the requirements of renewal. In most churches today, if not almost all, the evil men are both those who seek to put the church to the use of revolution rather than Christ, and also those who are content to let the church continue as an unbelieving and ungodly social center. For those who want a form of godliness without the power thereof, 2 Timothy 3.5. The godly men turn away from such and rebuild the church apart from them, for the church is neither a building, an organization, a hierarchy, or a tradition, but the living, growing body of Christ, which in every generation breaks the old wineskins and demands new forms for a new day.
At this point, Scripture gives us an interesting usage of the word new, whereby the Holy Ghost brings us to a clearer knowledge of the meaning of the new. In Matthew 9.17, the wine is new, neos, but the new wineskins are kynos. The same is true in Luke 5.37 and 38. The wine, the life of believers, is ever new in time as each generation sees the regenerating power of Christ in its day. The institutional containers of that new life are the same, church, state, school, family, and others. But they are either new in quality and nature, renewed, or they break under the pressure of the new wine. The true Christians are those who in every age break the old wineskins of the past because they are the life of the future and require the renewed forms of the future. We are called the new wine, Matthew 9.17, Mark 2.22, Luke 5.37-39, Neos, as being of recent production. We are new in time, not merely because we are born in this era, but because by Christ's regenerating power, we are freed from the world of sin and death, from karmic necessity, and made the force and power of the future. Thus the Christian, while respecting the past, cannot involve himself too deeply with the past. Too often, as we listen to others and to ourselves, we find that the major concern of our lives, what we talk and think about, is what happened yesterday, the past. We grieve over the past, talk about it, rehash it endlessly, and thus sadden and distort the present and neglect the future. The problems of yesterday and today are very real, and they are inescapable in a fallen world. The test of a Christian is in part this. Christ, having declared, Behold, I make all things new, Revelation 21.5, do we work confidently under him towards that goal, or are we endlessly troubled over who said and did what yesterday and today? Are we merely reacting to what others say and do, or are we acting to reconstruct all things in terms of Jesus Christ? Are we more concerned with the sins and imperfections of others than our duty to build for the future?